that came out, as John said, feel I'm doing a home group. Um, this morning, I want to talk about a subject which I've wanted to talk about for years and years, to put forward my thought on what Christmas is all about. Okay? So, as you saw then, these are my thoughts this morning. These are the five headings. What, Booking.com, Wow Factor, But, and. Now, you may say it looks a bit of an unusual bullet points, but they will make perfect sense. I want to start in... Um, a few weeks ago, one of my granddaughters came to me and said, Grandpa, I'm in, the, I'm in my school nativity. So I said, oh, what are you playing? I am Mary. And her and her brothers came this afternoon and they said, could we watch the film The Star, which is a Disney film, okay? And you get the idea where the film is going, okay? So it basically, this is the premise of the film. Suddenly there are this couple who are expecting a baby. They're in their 20s and they've got to go to this place called Bethlehem. King Herod learns about it. So he sends three men that look like Arnold Schwarzenegger with big scimitars to actually go and get them and kill them. And so they are into Bethlehem. Fortunately for Mary and Joseph, there is a donkey who makes friends with the sheep and they can talk and they protect the young couple. And while this chase is going on through the whole of Bethlehem, these animals, they bring in a flock of sheep, there's a goat, I think there's some camels, and they protect the young couple, eventually knocking out these three Arnold Schwarzeneggers, as donkeys can do, with the help of a sheep, and suddenly the baby has. And my granddaughter says, Grandpa, this is the funny bit which is after the baby, and it was quite funny. But the problem was, it was like, what is going on? This is not like the Christmas story I've been told. It is just, ugh, it frustrates me. So this morning, I want to tell you the Christmas story from the Bible as I understand it. Now, parts of it you may go, I've never heard that before. Parts you may go, I disagree with you, Barry. Parts you may say, I need to get up and walk out. Do not do that, because I shall be upset. <coughs> so what I'd like to do <coughs> is look at the story, because we have all these paintings. Now, I heard just a week ago, one person has put forward that Jesus was transgender. He got that from a 14th century painting. But you see, we have these pictures of, of what the, the, the Bible was happening. And I want to ask you, booking.com. Now, if you're going on holiday, if you're travelling, you plan your hotels. And now you can go to the website, booking.com, and book any hotel around the world. And if you're like me, if I'm going to a new place or a hotel, I go onto Google Street Maps and I can see what the building looks like. Of course, the problem we've got here is... There was no internet when Jesus was going to be born. There's no internet for Mary and Joseph to book a place. So I want to ask you a question. Where do you think Jesus was born? Anybody have an idea? Goodness. Well, I thought, all right, for me, he was born in Bethlehem. Did you not all think that? But Bethlehem, Epaphras, because there are two Bethlehems. There's one near Nazareth. Do you know what? Some people don't believe he was born in Bethlehem. They believe he was born in Nazareth. Now, 
This is the point. I have to make a confession to you this morning. I have misled you all for many years, and I apologise profusely. Um, today, I'm 68 years, 150 days old, exactly. And I've told you, I am born and bred in Harlow and proud of it. That is not the truth. I have deceived you this time. I'm not born in Harlow. In fact, I wasn't even born in Essex. I am a posh Shire child. I was born in the Shire of Hertfordshire. I was born in Bishop Stortford. And for, 140, for 68 years and 140 days about, I've lived here. My first 10 days were in Bishop Stortford. But I say I come from Harlow. And I can't understand how you can think that Jesus was born in Nazareth. He just came from there. It's quite clear he's going to be born in Bethlehem. I have no misunderstanding of that. So I thought, let's have a look. I got my Google Maps out, and it's about 145 kilometres. That's about 100 miles. And according to Google, that's a 31-hour walk. Now, ladies... You are eight months pregnant and you've got to walk a hundred miles because your boyfriend happens to be born in Bethlehem and he has to go to the census. And the thing that struck me about the whole of the Christmas story, it's all about where. Everything that happens in the Christmas story is all about where. And when you grasp that point, it's about where, suddenly everything as I go through this morning will make sense. And so they would walk. What's that? Say they do 10 miles a day, 15 miles a day. That's quite a few, perhaps five, ten days. There's no, whether she had a donkey, I don't know. I'm sure Joseph would have had first goes on the donkey. He's the man. That's the way it works. Um, and so, so let's read the story itself. In those days, Caesarea Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was placed to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And it's interesting, that word guest room, because every translation I read has the word in. Does it not? This is the NIV. Now, I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce that word, but if you go to Google Translation, it means accommodation or lodging. If you go to a further passage in Luke, they translate, and they all, tra all the translations put guest room. Now, when you change that word from in to guest room, suddenly, for me, it opened up a new avenue. Let's put Bethlehem into context. It was a very small town, smaller than it was when King David was born there. They wouldn't have had inns in this particular town. But if you know your Bible and understand it, in Judaism... It was a, you have the mitzvah, where it's commandments commanded by God. And one of them, my mother and parents, Hashem Set Okim, is to hospitality to guests is considered a mitzvah. When one knows a strangers who are hungry and need a place to relax, it becomes a legal obligation. For the Jewish culture, you can read it in the Old Testament, when a visitor comes to your town, 
you are obliged by the commands of God to offer them hospitality. And suddenly the guest room starts to make sense. So suddenly the story takes on a different kind because, hold on a moment, didn't we just say that Joseph came from Nazareth? So he might have had some aunts, second aunts, third aunts, cousins there. Surely they would have seen Joseph, would have heard about him. And surely by these rules, as it says at the bottom, rabbis consider the hashtag Okim, the bringing in of strangers, to be a part of giving of loving and kindness. As the passage in the New Testament says in Hebrews, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for so by doing, people have, been sh- have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. It's a command in the old and new about showing hospitality. And suddenly when I read this, it makes me think differently, because Mary and Joseph should have been put up in a guest room of family or friends. Now, you're going to say to me, Barry, of course, it was census. The place would have been heaving. Not if you understand a Roman census. Now, did you do a census? Was it 2016, 2018, we did a census? 2021, we did a census? And we pick a particular day to do our census. And on that day, you record how many toilets you've got. Did you know, when I first got married, 5% in Harlow houses didn't have inside toilets? Did you know that? 5%. I never knew that. Anyway, minor point. But in these days, it was a time period. Perhaps there were a few months you had to get there, so the place may not have been cluttered with people, but they were totally ignored. So I have in my mind, there is Mary and Joseph walking up the high street, starting in the south or the north and ending in the south with nobody wanting to put them up. And for me, that one word of, or that change of that word to guest room changes it. The wow factor. This next section is the most important part of the Christmas story. And my belief is, if this didn't have happened, Christ Jesus could not claim to be the Messiah. It is as critical as that to me. Have you ever thought about that? This random thing of shepherds and wise men, it's there for a reason. And the wow factor is quite astonishing. It's about the shepherds. And we sing the, she- the song while shepherds wash their socks at night and all those sorts of things. But let's read the story. And again, there's one word for me transforms this passage. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel saying, praise God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. 
When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Did you see the word? The one word that transformed. Today in the town of David, a saviour has born born to you. To me, that is not written to the world. That is just written to the shepherds. That was particularly for them. And that opens up the well. Because, if you think about it, Joseph and Mary knew where to go. Bethlehem. What a coincidence that the census meant that Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem. God's planning. With the wise men, they followed the star. They knew exactly where to go. But in here, God doesn't say, here's the GPS coordinates, here's the address. He just says, a saviour's been born to you, he's a Christ, this will be the sign to you, this will be the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And that's it. They knew exactly where to go. Because this is my, my thought is, there's a passage in the Old Testament called Micah, in Micah 4. As for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. These were not just ordinary shepherds. These were Leviticus shepherds. They were priestly shepherds. And when you understand that, for me it opens up a new particular story. They were the ones who produced the, sh the lambs, the one-year-old lambs, that would be sent to uh, Jerusalem for sacrifices. And my understanding is, basically from Bethlehem right through to Jerusalem, there was flock after flock after flock of sheep. We're talking perhaps a quarter of a million, 300 lambs had to be produced every year to provide for the temple. And this is just the male lambs. And you'd have the flocks, the flock, with its subflocks dotted around. And at each point, when you bring the sheep in, you had to have a station somewhere where they'd come. Now, how many of you here, anybody here a shepherd? Anybody here a trainee shepherd? Anybody spent time on a farm? Right. Was it a sheep farm? Yep. Did you spend time by the lambing season? Good. Got one person. So I've got to be careful what I say now. Well, when I was, in the, I, when I was 25 years old, I was a group accountant with the William Press Companies and I was in the Havering Group. And, every, and I had to produce the accounts of my chairman, personal accounts, because he had an estate in Scotland. And in this estate, it had a shooting lodge and sheep. Uh, and so you can go up there, hire a rifle and go and shoot the deer and the, and the sheep were on the hill. Now, I can remember, and we were asked, we, I was told I can go and visit it for about four or five days, so Louise and I, with our two-year-old child, travelled up to Scotland. My company weren't happy I was going because they'd given me a brand new car that week. And in those days, you had to run them in at 50, 60 miles an hour. And I was doing a 1,500-mile trip. And it was a slow journey, I remember. No cruise control. Anyway, we get up there, and for the first two days, 
I couldn't meet the foreman, the, uh, the, the, um, the farm manager, because it was lambing time. And it was on a very steep mountain, one of the highest in the area. And he'd, he'd, he would go out from as soon as it was light in the morning to the, the sun went down, up the mountain to bring the sheep and the lambs down to the lowlands. And on the third day, he, I, I got to see him. And he said to me, I asked him a question, you're a townie, aren't you? I said, yes. You've never been on a farm in Scotland? I said, no. He said, the reason we have a shooting lodge, he says, it raises money. It's not for the aristocracy. It is for them. But you see, you see, we have, the Forestry Commission manages all the land around here. And we have lots of deer. There are no natural pet predators anymore. The bears have been killed, the wolves have been killed, and the problem is they breed like rabbits, although they're deer, and explain the difference to me. And he said, the thing is, if they're not controlled, it runs havoc with all the plants. So the Forestry Commission set aside how many deer have to be killed each year. And we give you license, we get license, for we can kill so many deer, so we get money for bringing it in, and if we don't kill enough deer, the rangers come in and shoot the deer. I said, well, okay. He said, because... Do you understand anything about sheep? And I admitted no. He said, well, okay. We are in a very hard part of the country. It's cold, it's wet, we have, very, we have snow in the winter, and sheep live outside 365 days a year, and 366 on a leap year. And I will go up the mountain, I'll bring them back. Because it's so hard, our sheep only have one lamb. So we need the income. Down in the lowlands, in the borders with England and, and, and uh, Scotland, because it's mild, the sheep have two sheep. They have twins, sometimes three. So their income is twice as much. And I went, all this, and yep, yep. And I said, well, I've got some questions for you. He said, yep. I sign the bills and pay it to the fox killer, the man who shoots the foxes. He said again, you're a townie, aren't you? I said, well, yes. Have you ever seen a fox go through our sheep? They don't just take the one, they maim the whole sheep. I said, oh, I understand that. I said, okay, as I walk around your state, there's a gigantic eight-foot cube of wire and netting with two holes in. And I say, you're shooting the magpies. Please explain to me that. He said, you're a townie, aren't you? I said, yes, I am a townie. He said, well, problem is, we have sheep just in by the river here. And when the sheep goes on its back, it can't get up. So every day, my son, when he comes from school, his first job is to go down into the by, by the river and look for any sheep that have been on their backs and turn them over. He says, because when they turn on their back, the magpies see the glinting eyes looking like silver and come down and peck their eyes out. And so I'm learning about this very hard life of a shepherd. And of course, it's day three of me being down there. And I now see all the sheep coming down from the hills and there's the lambs, they're all being penned up. And he says, right, what we do now, he says, uh, come down and watch. So I went down and watched. I said, right, we now all the ewes, because there's 1,800 sheep have come down. Okay, we've got to inject them, check them okay. Now, for every lamb, I have to personally inspect it. So first thing I do is I chop off half its left ear. I cut it off. He said, so I know on the hill which are my sheep and which are my neighbour's sheep. I then give it an injection. If it's a tup, which is the male, I use elastic band. I'm not going to describe what they do with the elastic band. If you want to know, please speak to me afterwards. Don't come back as a tuppy, he said. And then he had a pot with a big brush in. He then put the brush in and brought out a blue paint. He painted over the side of the lamb and the sheep. He said, so when I've done the work, I can see quickly in the field 
that I've done them all. And if there's one, a lamb or a sheep without a blue mark on it, I know it's not being checked by me. And he said, well, the lambs... I said, well, hold on a minute. You've got 1,800 sheep, 1800 sheep plus the, the lambs. How do you know which goes to which? He says, well, most of them will go back to the mothers, but any are left over, I can sort them out. Now, let's follow now this story. Because you've got these shepherds here now, and this hasn't changed over the centuries. As I said before, these are not just any shepherds. Now, in fairness, shepherds are the bottom of the pile in Israel. And do you know why? Have you thought about it, why? They're often considered criminals, often considered flybonites. One of the problems shepherds had, they're not in part of society because they can never be made ritually clean. They're dealing with the dirt and therefore they never got to mix with the other people and such like. But these shepherds here are completely different. They are priestly shepherds. They're Leviticus shepherds. Somebody called them royal priestly shepherds. Royal priestly shepherds. Where have I heard about a royal priesthood? And they have to work within the ritual laws of the Jewish ceremonies. And so when a sheep is born, it will go to a particular hut, which has been the station for that particular flock, where the shepherd will put the sheep into a manger. And his job is now to look, has he got any broken bones from being born? Has he got any spots or defects? Is it perfect? If it's not, it gets put to one side. But if it's perfect, he has to mark that sheep. Like my shepherd did in Scotland, he would put the blue paint. But you can't put blue paint on it. It hadn't been invented. And secondly, you spoil the sheep. So he'd take a piece of cloth and perhaps put it round the left leg over the sheep. He would swaddle it. So therefore, when he let the sheep out, he approved it. You could see at any one time which sheep had been approved to be a sacrifice to go to Jerusalem when it got to a year old. In Exodus it says, your lamb shall be without blemish a male year old. And these would be for sacrifice at Passover, but any sacrifice for sin. So suddenly now you think, okay, this, uh, now the watchtower here is the particular one, it's called the Tower of Eda which would be generationally passed down from shepherd to shepherd because they were trained in the priestly ways of the scriptures. 700 years before, this is 100 years before they went into exile. And here's the Lord saying, at the Tower of Cedar, in a manger, you will find the Messiah wrapped. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And they go... And this is the middle of the night. And the reason why the ship was out in the middle of the night because they have to protect their flock from, oh, from uh, animals looking to kill. Remember King David said, you know, I had to fought off lion and bear. Protect them from people trying to steal. And they knew, because it had been passed down tradition, where to go. And they went to the Tower of, the, of Eda and there in a manger was a baby wrapped in swaddling just like the lambs when they've been passed by the shepherds that are perfect without spot and blemish and could go to be sacrificed. Doesn't it make sense why Jesus had to be there? 
And if Jesus didn't go into that manger and wasn't approved by Leviticus priests that they were spotless because they knew the, the prophetic words, not passed by them, then Jesus couldn't claim to be the Messiah. And it made me think, these aren't just words so we can sing our carols. Every word in the Bible has a particular relevance, has a particular purpose of God's meticulous planning. And then in the same book of Micah, it talks about that Messiah. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for them, for his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. It talks about being a shepherd. If you go to 1 Peter, it says this, 1 Peter 1, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you, from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. The angel said, to you a baby be found amen. To you a sign is given. And they would go, and having had that heavenly host, they accepted him, who he was. But can you imagine now, they go out and tell people. Suddenly it's out, not just in Bethlehem, <coughs> but also in Jerusalem. Messiah's been born because the wise men have been there. Suddenly there's an expectation the Messiah's been born. Now nobody expected a baby to suddenly get up, get in a white charge and rescue the people. But suddenly, it was there. Like Mary stored these things up, so did the people. I have a but. Twelve days ago, because that's my, my understanding, at seven o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, Louise and I got a text. Do you want to come and see the nativity? And we got invited to see a school nativity in Bishop Stortford. So we said, yeah, we'll come along, and we queued up, got in, and we sat in the front. I actually sat to Joseph, next to Joseph's parents. And it was, well, there were 60 children, I count on the stage. This is the reception years, four and five-year-olds, with about a dozen staff. And we sat there with a crowd, with a, everybody there, and the place was full. Expectation. Every child had something to say and something to do. Every child was dressed up, Here's some of them here. In their costumes, there, were, there was a galaxy of, of stars. About a, half a dozen of children were the stars. There were shepherds. There were sheep. There were cows. There were uh, camels with their, the wise men. There were three innkeepers with their wives. No room, no room. And there was Mary and Joseph and a donkey. And it was fat. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was a musical. The kids had to learn six songs, four, five-year-olds. And they, what was interesting, there's one little girl, and I heard her the year before, because we, had, we could watch a video, and she didn't sing the songs, she shouted the songs. And she did it again this year. In fact, I was in the kitchen when she was, her mother was teaching her the words of Away in a Manger. And I said to Sarah, she needs to learn the tune. But it was absolutely glorious. And there's Mary there, my granddaughter. 
I'm not... Yeah, okay. Um, She was waving to a friend's mum. We call this the the catwalk felicity. But it was absolutely... I thoroughly enjoyed it. But what made it special for me is, one, because she kept away and was excited about it, me being there and grandma, was the fact is, in the 21st century, in 2022, these kids were hearing the Christmas story and the parents weren't embarrassed. In fact, the whole production was introduced by a mischief of mice. Do you like that? A mischief of mice is the term for a group of mice. You can say a horde or mischief. A mischief of mice. And they introduced the whole thing. I know for well there were no animals at the actual place where Jesus was laying the manger because it would have corrupted the cleanliness. There were no mice, no horses, no oxen. But I didn't mind all that because these kids have been learning songs about it. They've been singing them away in the manger and other songs as well. But I thought they've been hearing the story about Jesus. And I thought that is worth everything. But what's the point of my, my theological rant this morning? Because that's 2,000 years ago. What's the relevance to you today? Because it's all about the where. It's all about the where. And when I, I, as Louise knows, I spent a long time looking at this, although you may not think it, putting this together. I've done this for years, but I wanted to get it down. And I just kept saying to God, what's the point of me saying all this? What's the re- I've got to leave them with a message, with a challenge. And then three nights ago, in the middle of the night, God told me, I want to read to you from Acts chapter 1. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, this is Jesus, are you, going, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He was the Messiah. It had been proven. He'd been in the, in the manger to prove that prophecy. He'd... When John the Baptist sent his disciples, Jesus, are you the one? Look at, my, look at my miracles. Look, I raised the dead, the blind can see. Look at the, I've done all the conditions. He went to the cross and now he's been resurrected and now it was time to go. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, it was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight. If you go back to the story of Jesus, uh, I think it's in, in, in Matthew, after eight days he goes to Jerusalem, his parents take him. So they were in Bethlehem for about eight days or perhaps moved on. But then as far as the world was concerned, they disappeared. They went out of sight. In fact, God takes them off to Egypt, financially provided by the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, which they could use to have a lifestyle, until God said, come back when King Herod had died. That's an expurgated version of the story for those listening. And here, suddenly, Jesus was going to go away. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. It's all about the where, Mount of Olives. 
when the Messiah came, the shepherds were excited. They went and told him, there was excitement around. And for the next 30 years, when Jesus came back, people were expecting him. Look at the crowds that came out because some knew this was the Messiah. Do you remember when Jesus says to the disciples, who do people say I am? And Peter says, the Son of God, the Messiah. There was an excitement. Are you excited about Jesus coming back? Good. But see, the thing is, follow the signs. 1948 for me is the most major sign in this world that Jesus is coming back. Because that's the date in 1948 when the Jews, a Jewish nation that had been exiled for over 1800 years, suddenly went back to Palestine. To the only bit of land I'm aware of that God gave to a people. In fact, it was still God's property. And so we know we're in those end times because that mark, that, that mark has been laid out, prophesied. It's been laid down. So any time, Jesus can come back. It may be in my lifetime, maybe not in my lifetime. But actually, this should be a driving force in our lives. Look what, they, look what the shepherds did when they met Jesus. They went and told everybody. I don't know when Jesus is coming. In fact, it says in Scripture, even Jesus didn't know at the time. I do wonder, God said, when he got to heaven, the Father said, let me into a little secret, okay? But actually, why haven't we got that excitement? Why haven't we got that focus? Why aren't we excited? Why aren't we telling everybody? And I look at myself in the mirror that I'm not good at pe- telling people about my faith. I don't know how many days are left. I'm 68 and 150 days. I've gone through a cancer scare. But I know God knows my days. I'm so thrilled my granddaughter and then my son and my, his wife. And, and I thought, when I sit next to Joseph's parents, they're the in-laws to my daughter who's playing Mary and I'm the great-parents-in-laws to their child. got complicated. But I was so excited that my granddaughter was interested. Felicity came home one day and said to her mother, we're doing the nativity play and I'm going to be Mary. At this point, they had not decided who was going to be what. So Sarah said, well, Felicity... There's lots of parts. There's the angels. Uh, I'm going to be married. There's only one Mary. So you may not get that position. The next day, Felicity went to school and told the teacher, I'm going to be Mary. And she became Mary. And when she came home, she said to Mummy, I'm Mary. So Sarah said, well, no, no, no. Honey, just got to remember. Then got the notes. What do you want to be before God? He's coming back. And when you see, for me, the story, it's my understanding of the story, it may not be yours, um, but the fact is God had it all mapped out. Perfect. Perfect. Everybody knew where they need to go. 
to Bethlehem, to the Tower of Eda, follow the star. I leave you with one question. Do you know where God wants you to go? Do you know where God wants you to be? Are you in the place now where God wants you to be? And my second question is, I'll leave you with, whose mouth do you have? His or yours? Let's close with a word of prayer. I'm going to hand back to John. Father, I just find the story of Christmas absolutely incredible. And I realise, Lord, that we, we sing carols. You know I don't like the carols and we get things. We talk about things that aren't correct, Lord, but I thank you for them. Because it's the major time people sing the carols across the country currently. And I know as people grow up and older, the younger generation, Lord, are not interested in singing carols like my age group are. But I thank you, Lord, in my granddaughter's school, they're telling the story of the real Christmas. And I thank you that. I appreciate, Lord, they're giving parts for all the kids to get involved in, but Father, but I appreciate she's heard the story. And I pray that school and other schools continue to show the nativity. And I pray, Lord, you'll put a burden in our hearts that's based upon excitement that you are coming back. And my job, because I'm a royal priesthood, just like those shepherds. And Lord, I need to go out and tell everybody the Messiah has come. Be with us all. Amen. Thank you.